Good morning, I'm John, and this is the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 14th. I often find myself railing against WWE's booking of non-wrestlers at big pay-per-view events. Of course, for the whole of my life, the man to blame has been Vincent Kennedy McMahon and his insatiable thirst for attention and respect outside the niche professional wrestling resided in for so long. But secondary to Vince, there's one person that sticks out as a major contributor at the very start of WWE's crossover appeal. And while this person is very well known to any wrestling fan older than about 35, and to anyone who's done some perusing of WWE's extensive archive, the heft of this person's contributions to the wrestling and entertainment we all love isn't always so readily obvious. So what wrestler, manager, mouthpiece, actor, and crossover entertainer was lost to the wrestling world on this day in 2009. Hey there, if you're listening to this, then chances are you love wrestling. And if you care to continue the conversation with me, John, and other listeners of this show, then I invite you to join the Daily Wrestling News Show Facebook group. Just search for Daily Wrestling News Show or go to facebook.com slash groups slash wrestling news show and click join. We cannot wait to meet you there. The group is brand new, so if you're one of the first to join, don't be afraid to say hi. Now, on with the show. Louis Vincent Albano was born in the Italian capital city of Rome in 1933. While both of his parents were born in America, the man we came to know as Captain Lou was born while his father attended medical school in Italy and was actually baptized at the Vatican. Quite an irony, considering the Hellraiser he would become. His family returned to the New York City area and Lou would earn his nickname of Captain when he rose to be named Captain of his White Plains New York football team, while also excelling at track and field. If you saw his Hollywood headshot in the early 1980s, you probably wouldn't have guessed that Captain Lou received 32 full scholarship offers before choosing to play Division I college football at the University of Tennessee. Lou was a hothead, as described by his on-and-off friend Bruno Sammartino, and that led to him clashing with the Dean and being expelled from Tennessee. He next joined the Army, but a childhood injury made worse by years of gridiron contact led to an honorable discharge just eight months later. Captain Lou's father, at this point retired from medicine, wanted to open an insurance business with his son. But Lou was more interested in physical endeavors and started training as a boxer. His distant cousin Lou Duva, yes, that Lou Duva, introduced Albano to boxing promoter Willie Gilsenberg. Both men would find their way to the world of professional wrestling before long. Lou was a wrestler, and Gilsenberg would go on to be the first ceremonial president of the WWWF. Albano's early work was as a pretty boy babyface named Leapin' Lou Albano. I know, I didn't believe it either. But heels always had more fun, so Lou took advantage of a non-wrestling accident, purposely saw to it that the wound on his forehead did not heal properly, and used this scar to mold his new character. The Mount Vernon Mauler was born. He had little success as a singles performer, but seemed to find his niche when he began teaming with another Italian-American wrestler by the name of Tony Altamare. The two leaned into their heritage and the success of the TV show The Untouchables and crafted a team called the Sicilians. Their stereotypical gangster personas garnered them moderate success, but also some unwanted attention. During a stint in the Midwest where they had become tag champs, they were paid a visit by Tony Accardo and two of his associates. Accardo was the head of the Chicago Outfit, the real Chicago Outfit. It was requested, but made very clear, that they drop all mention of the word Mafia from their gimmick. In fact, according to no less of a source than Bruno Sammartino himself, 
they were handed a note that said that they should cease such talk or, quote, or else disappear, end quote. The team would leave the territory shortly thereafter. In 1967, the Sicilians would win the WWWF United States Tag Team Championships. But as was the case with most heels and heel teams in those days, they were simply transitional champions and only held the belts for two weeks. In fact, the title change was only acknowledged on TV in the Atlantic City market where the change took place. By 1969, the Sicilians would go their separate ways, and Lou was back to being a middling singles competitor. In 1970, Sam Martino would get in Vince Sr.'s ear and remind him that Lou was great with a microphone, but in his positioning on the card, he rarely got a chance to show off his skills. Bruno suggested that he would be better suited as a manager. It didn't take much prodding to make the change, and a Hall of Fame career began. Albano's first charge was Crusher Verdue, a Spanish immigrant with a big in-ring upside, but almost no command of the English language. Captain Lou was the fix. In Verdue's headline feud with San Martino, Albano would cut promos where he referred to Bruno as that Italian and claimed that Verdue would stomp him like grapes. Bruno's fans were mostly other Italian-Americans, and they took great offense to such words coming from Albano, another Italian, but one who was siding with a non-Italian. Not only could Albano draw more heat than any manager or performer in the company, he had the luxury of still being close enough to his days as a performer that he could take a bump. Along with the other top heel managers, Freddie Blassie and the Grand Wizard, they formed the Triumvirate of Terror, or as Paul Heyman lovingly refers to them, the Three Wise Men of the East. But Blassie was in such bad shape from his wrestling days that taking bumps was out of the question. And according to Heyman, quote, if you touched Ernie, aka the Grand Wizard, he would turn into dust, end quote. That's where Albano came in. He would occasionally join his wrestlers in handicap matches and six-man tags, Heyman said that if Vince Sr. saw that advanced sales were slow in a particular market, Albano would be added to the card for in-ring work, and they would proceed to, quote, kick Lou's ass up and down the East Coast. Lou would love it, and the fans would absolutely eat it up. The heat he generated in the arenas was real, and it was huge. Bruno tells a story of a time Lou's words led to a brawl in the D.C. market. Lou got slashed pretty bad across the arm and suffered another stabbing just above his kidney, but it never carried over outside the building. While some wrestlers and managers to this day will find themselves confronted by drunken idiots looking to take a swipe at a famous tough guy, Lou was the life of the party. He cursed like a sailor and according to Heyman used every word that would get you fired in an instant today. But where Bill Watts and Michael Hayes had scandals for questionable language, Lou was reportedly ten times worse, but delivered it with such a lovable and non-aggressive way that he was often seen doubled over laughing with the likes of Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson after telling a joke that would get him murdered in some parts of New York City. The way Hangman tells it, by the time he started hanging around as a 14-year-old photographer, Albano would show up at least once a month stinking drunk. Vince would fire him. Lou would go across the street to a bar, consume a pot of coffee, and return to apologize to Vince Sr. and be lovingly forgiven. And don't get me wrong, his work never suffered especially during the reign of Bob Backlund as champion, Albano was an integral part of the company. There was not much need to build up a heel to fight the champ. Just pair them with Albano and five minutes of mic work would have the crowd frothing at the mouth and wanting the wrestler to be destroyed by the babyface champ. While San Martino and Morales carried the company during their title reigns, the Backlund reign was carried mostly by the hatred for the heels, and that heat was created by Captain Lou. Albano was, for all intents and purposes, 
what the Mr. McMahon character would become for the Attitude Era. The top heel in the company, even though he wasn't a competitor. Pair a talent with Captain Lou, and they were immediately a believable headline heel. While most of the Grand Wizard's clients could speak for themselves, and he was just the cherry on the whipped cream, as Heyman put it, and Blassie handled just about anyone who had recently turned on a former partner, Albano made his clients into instant stars. Heyman tells another story where Killer Kowalski was starting to look a little old in the face, but he could still move. John Studd was being readied for a big run, but the time wasn't quite right yet. So they were dressed from head to toe in black, put under masks, paired with Albano, and instantly accepted as a credible threat. The masked executioners quickly rose to tag champs and reigned for more than a year. That was the magic of Captain Lou. Albano was gold, almost literally. In his earliest days, he would corner Ivan Koloff in the feud that saw him end San Martino's legendary seven-and-a-half-year title reign. Bruno has been quoted as saying that the crowd fell so instantly quiet in shock, he thought for a moment that he had lost his hearing. The ensuing riot would do more than $150,000 worth of damage by today's value, and it was a price Vince Sr. was all too happy to cover for the amount of attention it drew. He would later manage both Don Morocco and Greg Valentine to Intercontinental Championship victories, and he was at the helm for 13 sets of tag team champions. From heels like the Wild Samoans and the previously mentioned Masked Executioners, the Valiants, the Blackjacks, and the Moondogs, to babyface title runs for the British Bulldogs and even the U.S. Express at WrestleMania. On a 1984 flight to Puerto Rico, Captain Lou met rising pop star Cindy Lauper. Both entertainers being known for their out-of-the-ordinary look, Lauper's manager suggested that they work together in the future. This would lead to Albano playing the role of Lauper's father in the video for her breakthrough smash single, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That successful collaboration was cross-promoted by both MTV and on World Wrestling Federation television. This rock and wrestling connection, as it would come to be called, built to a match between Wendy Richter and 23-year reigning women's champion, the fabulous Moolah, which aired on MTV, the three-year-old network that was blowing up with the much sought-after younger demographic. An altercation between Hogan, Piper, and Orndorff that rode shotgun to the Lauper-Albano feud was the impetus for WrestleMania. Paul Heyman is quoted as saying, No Lou, no Lauper. No Lauper, no Mr. T. No Mr. T, no WrestleMania. At least not that soon. Heyman has called him the catalyst for the modern era, though sadly he wasn't really a part of what he had laid the groundwork for. While Bobby Heenan is often seen as the best manager of all time, and he probably was, Lou was probably the most impactful in the history of the business and likely drew the most money. Albano's final trip to the top of the mountain was as the manager of the Head Shrinkers as they captured the WWF Tag Team Championship in 1994. Outside of the WWF, Albano would appear in the 1986 movie Wise Guys starring Danny DeVito, a personal favorite of mine and my brother's that we still quote to this day, he would play Mario in both the live-action and animated versions of Nintendo's Super Mario Bros. Super Show. He was a recurring guest on the Hollywood Squares and made appearances in four of Cyndi Lauper's music videos. But still, he's most often known by a random cousin or uncle in your family as that guy with the elastic bands glued to his cheek, right? Paul Heyman remembers him as the lovable wild man who drove 90 miles an hour everywhere he went and drank way too much. His drinking was so out of hand at times he actually challenged Andre the Giant to a drinking contest. He lost, but it was not for lack of trying. 
but he was also the Division I scholarship athlete who was married to his high school sweetheart until the day he died, helped carry the heel side of the WWF for more than a generation, and was the linchpin to the crossover exposure that led to WrestleMania and the fact that you can be proud to be a wrestling fan today. He passed away on this day in 2009 at the age of 76. According to the modern-day wise man Paul Heyman, 76 isn't really all that old, but for the way he lived, for Lou it sure as hell was. This has been the Daily Wrestling News Show for October 14th, 2022. We'll see you next week.